Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ross Duvall, the president and CEO of Heartland Forward. Since joining Heartland Forward in 2019, Ross has raised the profile of Heartland Forward through media engagement with quotes in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, The Economist, and Axos, and op-eds in the Dallas Morning News, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Chicago Tribune, and Des Moines Register, as well as TV appearances through the Heartland. Ross is a former chief research officer for the Milken Institute, where he spent nearly 20 years. While there, Ross oversaw research on international, national, and comparative regional growth performance, access to capital, and its role in economic growth and job creation and health-related topics. Ross has been ranked among the superstars of think tank scholars by International Economy Magazine. And with that extremely impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Ross. Thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Well, thank you so much again, Ross, for taking part in the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. And generally, I'd like to start things off by asking my guests about their career journey. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at Heartland Forward? Lisa, I'd love to tell you a bit about my background. Uh, my journey is probably a non-traditional one for most of the presidents and heads of, uh, of think tanks. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in corporate America, uh, in consulting as well before uh, having gone to the Moken Institute for 20 years. So I, I, I like to call heart and forward a think and do tank, not a think tank. And that probably explains a bit better about how I fit. So I work for two railroads, uh, Union Pacific Railroad and CSX, um, where I work for John Snow as the CEO, who went on to become Treasury Secretary for the United States. Uh, so that was a very interesting uh, journey, as well as I worked at Wharton Econometrics for a Nobel Prize winner from the University of Pennsylvania, Larry Klein. Uh, for macroeconometric regional economic model building, uh, and then went to the Milken Institute for 20 years and worked directly for Mike Milken, which was very much a think and do tank tradition as well, uh, where I headed up both kind of regional innovation ecosystems, tech-based economic development, knowledge-based economy, uh, early stage risk capital, finance, mar financial markets, as well as health and well-being. And then I was approached by members of the Walton family uh, in early 2017 about the idea of starting a think and do tank that focused on trying to improve economic performance in the center of the country, the heartland. It's a large heartland, 20 states from Michigan, South Alabama, west of Texas, north of North Dakota, and all those 20 states in between the kind of the contiguous area. So, um, Originally, it was around the idea of forming the Heartland Summit, 
which was a convening trying to address those issues. But the Walton family had approached me about the idea of, did it make sense to build something that was more concrete and kind of ongoing to make an impact? So that's a bit about kind of the background as to how Heartland Forward and, and my career kind of meshed together. That's really neat. And can you tell us a little bit more about Heartland Forward for our listeners who are not familiar with it? You mentioned the, the Walton connection and um, a little bit about how it got started. But can you tell us a little bit more maybe about its mission and the work that it's been doing? Uh, be, be glad to do so, Lisa. So as I said, we're not a traditional think tank. We're a think and do tank. You know, we we conduct research, uh, but we try to write it in an applied manner. That's been much of my career, and I've recruited people that have the same philosophy. Uh, so our chief research officer is Dave Scheidler, who came from Oklahoma State University uh, and also got his Ph.D. at Ohio State. And he worked in the extension office. So he was both a tenured professor as well as working in extension. So he did a lot of presentations, uh, in some sense, kind of consulting work. Uh, and we very much work in four spaces. One is innovation and entrepreneurship, central to our mission, a human capital and workforce development, health and well-being, and then what we call regional competitiveness. So, you know, we we conduct rigorous research, but try and write it, convey, communicate it to a broader audience, not just our, our peers. And also, we brought in Angie Cooper to lead our programs and events and Angie had worked uh, her entire career at Walmart in their government and public relations, public affairs area. And so she very much brings a focused, applied approach, was the organizer of the Heartland Summit, uh, and then helped develop and lead two of our initial programs. One, connecting the Heartland, where we're trying to bring high-speed internet access to the Heartland not only in rural areas, but also in inner cities that are underserved. And we have a number of programs underway on the ground trying to help communities do that and working with state governments as well. And another area is our community growth program and toolkit uh, with Donna Harris at Builders and Backers, which works in the space of social entrepreneurship, trying to build entrepreneurial awareness and capacity, how to, how to address problems, thinking with the entrepreneurial mindset, and about one-third of those ideas actually can lead to uh, a company. And then we also have Blake Wolsey, who joined us as our chief uh, communications and development officer. And she has a very distinguished background, both in communications, working with some of the largest corporate companies in the United States, uh, as well as having worked in development uh, at a major research university. So she really focuses, focuses on trying to make sure that Dave and my writing uh, is very applied and we reach a, a broader audience, even though we like to think we're applied. Sometimes we still like to use the economic jargon. So very much a think and do, meaning our programs and our uh, summit and convenings where we try and make things happen. Speaking of research, Ross, I wanted to ask you about Heartland Forward's most recent research report, Research to Renewal, Advancing University Tech Transfer, which was published on May 12, 2022. This report evaluates which universities are most accomplished at creating new knowledge, embedding it in their science, technology, engineering, and mathematics graduates, and then transferring both to new and existing enterprises. 
Specifically, the report provides a university technology transfer and commercialization index, which offers a benchmark ranking of universities based on a variety of data sources related to formal and informal technology transfers. Can you talk about the methodology and performance metrics used in your research? I'll be glad to, Lisa. There are a number of metrics, so let me try and put it in as non-technical terminology as I can. Uh, It stems from a lot of the research that I led while at the Milken Institute, looking at the role of research universities in conducting research, creating intellectual property, but also the connection to transferring, um, commercializing that research and intellectual property so that it ends up in the private sector. Uh, So what it looks at are metrics to evaluate first intellectual property creation and transfer, such as uh, license disclosures, um, options, invention disclosures, the licensing income, royalties, uh, lump sum payments that come to universities uh, from licensing, as well as startups form. So actual new enterprises that were formed based on university intellectual property. And then we normalize that by research expenditures to get a sense of the efficiency. So you would expect, you know, the leading research universities and grants received from federal agencies. But this looks at not only the research that's conducted, but normalizes it, adjusts for the size of the enterprise and how efficient universities are in transferring their research, their IP to the private sector. The other component is somewhat controversial in terms of looking at intellectual property transfer to the private sector because we include STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics graduates at the bachelor's and uh, master's degree level because that's another way that universities transfer their knowledge and intellectual property to the private sector. So we normalize those, look, also include the absolute levels and it gives you a sense of really what's happening. One other additional thing that we did that is kind of new is we included university papers that were cited in patents granted to firms because that gives you a sense of the value that the private sector places on university IP, even if it's not codified, formalized in terms of an official license, they've cited that, that research previously. So we put a lot together and we think, you know, it's a, it's a broad way to look at how universities impact the private sector. Yeah, it definitely is very broad. And based on your research methodology and these performance metrics that you used, what were the top performing universities? And I'm curious to know, based on the listing that you came up with, were there any that were surprising to you? And if so, why? No, good question, Lisa. Um, the, the university that came in first didn't surprise me that it was among the leaders, but it did surprise me uh, that it was first. Uh, and that's because it was Carnegie Mellon, based in Pittsburgh, a private institution, uh, fairly small, only around 16,000 uh, students. But it has a combination of a top-tier computer science and engineering departments, as well as this focus on interdisciplinary research with a unique kind of entrepreneurial culture and focus. And Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, also Pitt, uh, was in the top 25, really have helped rejuvenate that city of Pittsburgh, uh, 
you know, despite the hard times that it fell on uh, coming out of, of the collapse of the steel industry and other heavy manufacturing. Then second is the University of Florida down in Gainesville. And, you know, think about Gatorade. It, you know, commercialized that in the late 60s and really energized that whole enterprise there. And, you know, number one among public universities um, and a long history of that. Then you get into some of the kind of elites uh, in third through seventh, Columbia, Stanford, you know, one of the original top producers of intellectual property and commercialization, Harvard, and then University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Another one I would focus on would be North Carolina State, which actually came in at seventh. And it really shows how a public university that believes commercialization is central to its mission can become a top performer. You know, most people think of Duke, the University of North Carolina, and the Research Triangle as being the leaders in working with private industry. But over the past decade, Randy Woodson, who's the chancellor there, really focused on working with private enterprise, commercialization, tech transfer, and has really moved that university uh, among the top 10. Now, among Harlan universities, the University of Minnesota came in 10th overall, but first, uh, and it was fifth amongst all public universities. And it really has a top, highly regarded technology commercialization office and a very strong uh, STEM department. Purdue also was uh, ranked very highly at 11th. Um, it, Mitch Daniels came there after governor and really changed the culture of that university. Northwestern's among the leaders. Um, not surprising to that extent, uh, but certainly when you look Uh, You see many of the California schools, UC San Diego, UC LA, of course you have Stanford uh, that's ranked there, UC Berkeley, and then you kind of have the East Coast. But you you have those top universities in the heartland states, but not nearly as focused overall on commercialization, I would say. Yeah, and I just want to go back to the first two on that list because I found it fascinating. Um, Carnegie Mellon, doesn't have a medical school, which is interesting. And then, you know, you compare the enrollment there with the University of Florida, about 16,000 students at Carnegie Mellon versus almost 60,000 at University of Florida. So I thought that was really, um, really impressive by Carnegie Mellon. Well, you know, they had a series of leaders over the years that really got engaged in trying to rejuvenate, redevelop the Pittsburgh economy. And it had to go to its anchors. And because you had that foresight among the, the leaders at Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon and Pitt for that, from that perspective that they collaborated with, because Pitt has the medical school, you were able to combine a top-notch STEM school uh, that's clearly among the leaders in terms of the quality of its graduates, but also a very applied focus on engineering and interdisciplinary research it's really made a unique difference, and it saw entrepreneurship as part of its mission to try and transfer that IP to the private sector, and it's really led to a renaissance in Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh has really um, done a remarkable job, like you said, evolving from uh, an economy based on the steel industry. So it's, it's really an amazing city to visit. So, Ross, I wanted to ask, that based on your findings, what would you say universities can do to improve? Well, at the top of my list 
is that universities need to understand, be aware, and be committed that tech transfer commercialization is a core part of their mission. I mean, many land-grant universities are on this list, and it's part of their mission. But sometimes the academy doesn't fully appreciate, one, its importance in kind of the national economic development and keeping the U.S. innovative and competitive overall, but also critical to self-sustaining indigenous growth in regional economies around the United States. So that's really number one. Uh, I would also say that we need to understand at the national level that it's critical to continue investing in research, scientific advancement at universities and making sure that they have the resources to be commercial. In other words, to get engaged with the private sector. And what I'm referring to is the Bayh-Dole Act, which was passed that allowed universities to license their intellectual property. In many respects, go you know, great, great act. Uh, I know knew, knew both of those leaders, um, Senators Bayh and Dole. But essentially, it was an unfunded mandate because it allowed universities to own their intellectual property and commercialize it, but didn't really provide funding for that activity. So a lot of universities have done so already. They have formalized technology transfer offices, but many others have underinvested, in my opinion. Uh, and I would look to state governors and even mayors to fund that process of licensing IP at universities as an economic development imperative. And sometimes um, they don't focus on that. Um, and also, I think that universities need to look at adopting, being aware of best practices at other universities. Sometimes the unique cultural circumstances at one university doesn't really transfer as efficiently to another university. But being more knowledgeable and current on best practices, I think, would help all the way around. Also, thinking about building capacity, pooling invention disclosures and patents across universities and trying to market that bundle uh, could perhaps help universities that don't have the resources that some of the larger ones do. Also, some universities have started doing this. Purdue is a leader in looking at having alumni foundations invest in venture capital pools for commercialization support. Um, so those would be some of the critical areas that I would look to invest in. So, Ross, I also wanted to ask you, what can universities do to boost economic development and help create middle-class jobs in their home states as well as their regions? Well, one, they have to understand that it is part of their mission. Uh, there needs to be technology licensing offices. There needs to be a kind of an economic development arm of the university that interacts not only with the existing corporate infrastructure that tries to... Uh, capitalize on what I refer to as absorptive capacity. You know, many of these large firms to stay at the leading edge in the ind industries need to work closely with their local universities to make sure they're able to do so. Um, so also then encouraging faculty to engage with the private sector or start their own firm. So one example would be um, allowing 
professors to obtain credit towards their tenure attribution by engaging in in commercialized intellectual property, patents, licensing activities, you know, starting companies. I mean, that would really send an important message, I think, especially to younger faculty, so that they have the opportunity to self-select to move in this direction. Because if you haven't had a mentor who's engaged in it, your department chair is simply going to tell you publish or perish. Get get in those peer-reviewed journals. That's important, but it's also important to produce intellectual property, new knowledge, it gets absorbed into the private sector and keeps the national economy competitive as well as local economies very innovative. So Ross, armed with this report, what's next for Heartland Forward? Well, we continue to um, advance kind of the research and understanding more about what some of the top medical schools have done. And then we're also going to condense this information among across universities in the state level, uh, because governors uh, like to see where they are as a state. And so we're looking at that, but it's really about kind of advocating for more awareness of commercialization in heartland states and heartland universities, advocating at the governor's level, the mayor's level, and amongst economic development officials that This is an economic development priority, and it might be the highest rate of return to funding of anything that you do. Many states that's underappreciated, those states that get it have done very well in recent years. Think of places like Utah or Colorado. If you look at, you know, kind of top local growth measures, many locations in those two states do very well. And it's really to advocate for this across the heartland, making sure that universities have access to the latest information and to advocate for policy changes. That's where we're headed. Well, Ross, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. This has been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, particularly about the report, where can they reach you? Well, they can certainly uh, email me. It would be Deval, my last name, D-E-V-O-L, at heartlandforward, no space, dot O-R-G. Or they can go directly to our website, uh, heartlandforward.org. Well, thank you so much again, Ross. This has been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you. Lisa, I enjoyed the opportunity. This is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. So I appreciate the opportunity to share my perspectives again. Been absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much again, Ross. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, 
insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.